Let me ask you a question. What's the one command that Jesus gave us? What's the one command that he gave us? Sorry? Love one another? That's one of them. It's not a command in some ways. Somebody said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, that's what the greatest commandment in the scriptures is. What's the command that Jesus gave us? Matthew 28, isn't it? He says, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. The one command that he left his disciples, he'd done his ministry, died on the cross, rose again, and he said just before he ascended back into heaven, at the end of Matthew's gospel, these words are there. The one command that he gave us. It was in Jesus' kind of DNA. It was something that he did the whole of his life. Do you remember right at the beginning, he said this. He said, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish. I will make you fishers of men, didn't he? right at the start, when he was calling his disciples, and he did just that to his disciples. He got them together, and before really he'd done much teaching, what did he do? He said, the word says in Luke, he says he sent the 12 out or the 72 out, and he says, go and make disciples. Go do it. And I'm going to give you the authority. Now go out and do what I'm asking you to do. And the whole of Jesus' life was about making disciples and being a disciple. And effectively, for us, that's who we are. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, it means we are a disciple. We cannot be just a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. It's what God has asked us to do. It's the one command that he gave us. Remember when I worked in the government My boss came into me one afternoon and she said, David, I've got a very important meeting this evening and I need a particular information. I need this file that's got the information that I need to go to this meeting. And she said, can you try and track it down for me and find it? I said, sure, that's not a problem. She said, I I got the meeting six o'clock. I need it. uh, Then I need to leave for the meeting tonight. I remember as the train was going home through Clapham Junction, on my way back to my house in the evening that I completely forgot to get the file. And I went, oh, my day's late. I've forgotten. I said yes. And now what do I do? Do I, do I jump out of Wimbledon, get a train all the way back into the office, try and get back into the office, try and find? But if I do that, it's already past 6 o'clock, and she's probably gone to the meeting, and I'm not even sure where the meeting was. What am I going to do? So I did what everybody does in such circumstances. I went home and had some supper and comfort ate and thought, I hope it will be all right. Went back to work the next day. Guess what happened? There was a message, David, I need to see you in my office. I felt like a school child. So I went into the office and she was quite a... uh, a volatile boss, shall we say. She started turning red as she was screaming at me. And I held my hands up and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm sorry. 
I said, you asked me to get you a file. I said, I would get you the file. And I said, I was on my way home and I suddenly realized I hadn't done what I said I would do. You have every right to be upset with me because I failed to do what you asked me to do. Jesus, in the same way, has asked us to be disciples and to make disciples. He says, I want you to be a disciple. You have to be a disciple if you're going to make disciples. But if you look at your own life, I look at my life, we have to ask ourselves that uncomfortable question, well, how many disciples really in my life have I made? And secondly, how many am I actually making now? Because this command is, as you're going about your daily business, as you're going from door to door, as you get up every morning, and as you go to bed every evening, your job that I'm going to leave with you is one, one job. You do that through the love the Lord your God business, but the one job is this, go and make disciples. So whether you're at work or you're at, at home or whether you're on holiday, make disciples. Whether you're going shopping or doing the washing up or in the garden, make disciples. As you're going about your daily business, make disciples. How well are we doing and making disciples. And it's not only just for ourselves, we need to ask that same question as a church. How many disciples are we making as a church? Because as a church, we are the body that gets together to encourage one another in the art of making disciples, isn't it? That's what the church is for. That's why we gather. That, that's why we are the family together. How many disciples have we made as a church? How many are we making right now? They're uncomfortable questions. It was uncomfortable standing before my boss and seeing her look like a traffic light. And I think sometimes if we were to stand before God, and Jesus was there and he was to say, David, how many disciples have you really made? How many disciples are you making right now? Would you find that an easy question to be asked? Well, one of the difficulties is, what is then a disciple, right? If that's what Jesus has told us to do, what is it exactly is he asking of us? What does it mean to be a disciple? And over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at this Together, Because, as I said, we need to be disciples in order to disciple others. You need to know what it means for yourself in order to be able to tell others. It's the same with any aspect of life. Tuesday night this week, I'm going to start a class in motor mechanics here at Trinity Church. Anybody that wants to learn how to Take, fix any problem that you have with your motor, with your car, come along and I will be able to answer every question. Now, why wouldn't you bother turning up? Because you know as well as I do that I'm not a mechanic, right? I might be able to tell you how to change a spark plug, but, you know, if, uh, if Jane here comes and says, now, David, I've got a problem with the electrics in my car... 
and uh, you know the the uh, the light just is not working, I'll be like, um, okay, have a coffee break while I Google and see what I can come up with and see if I can, you know, because I'm not a mechanic. I don't know what I'm talking about. And so it's the same with this, isn't it? We, we have to be disciples if we're going to disciple others. We have to know what we're talking about. So where do we learn about discipleship? Well, in Acts 2, and this is the passage we're going to look at together over the next number of weeks, it says this, Acts 2, 42 to 47, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is after Pentecost. Straight after Pentecost came, so the disciples were there in Jerusalem waiting for whatever it was, the Holy Spirit that God was going to send to them, and they weren't quite sure what it was all about, but then the Spirit came on them, and 3,000 people were added that day, and this is the very next passage, and it said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first thing we need to look at is that first or the second word. They devoted themselves. To be a disciple is to be someone who is devoted. Now, we're all devoted to something. We're devoted to different things. What are you devoted to? How can you tell what you're devoted to? I was listening to an interview not long ago about a... uh, one of the uh, athletes who just retired. And they said one of the reasons they retired because to be a, a top athlete, you have to devote yourself, don't you, to that, that discipline. And they said, you know what? There's so much more in life that I want to do than just be singly minded and devoted to that one thing. And so they decided to retire and walk away. And they, and they said, it was, it's great. It's great to do that because they said like, as much as I love it, it stopped me from everything else because I was devoted. What are we devoted to? Well, devotion, firstly, it means this. It means being steadfastly involved in something. Being steadfastly involved in. And there's two aspects to that. I like to think of it like this, like a lighthouse. Now, a lighthouse, to be any good, is firstly steadfast, right? You build a lighthouse... On the, on the rock. You don't float it on the water and let it drift around with the tide, do you? Suddenly, oh, there's a lighthouse that's suddenly working its way towards France because the tide's taken it. That's not, that's not any use to anybody. A lighthouse is fixed. It's steadfast. It's a rock. So that when these waves come, what happens? It stays where it is. It's not going to move anywhere. It's stuck but also it's involved in it, right? It's no good just being stuck there and not doing what it needs to do. If a lighthouse never shines, what's the point of it? It's just a building stuck on a rock, right? The idea of a lighthouse is that 
even though the waves come crashing over it, like the picture there, it's actually involved in doing what it needs to do. It's shining out its light in the darkness, directing what needs to be directed. So it's both steadfast. Sometimes it gets buffeted and bruised by the, the wind and the waves, but it carries on doing what it needs to do. And the disciples, it says, were devoted. They were devoted individuals. You see, devotion, first of all, requires a focus of the heart. That's where this verse comes in. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Somebody asked him. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. The first and the great. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Why? Because you need to love. Love is what motivates us, isn't it? You know as well as I do, when you see two young people or any people in love, sickening, isn't it? They're useless to the world. Why? Because their only motivation is for one another, isn't it? You just see them. We ran a youth club in, in Canada when I used to live there. There was this couple there. Useless. Right? They, they got married and now and been missionaries and wonderful couple. But at the time, they were young and in love. And they were supposed to be helping us lead this youth club of 60 young people. I mean, we had more help from the young people than we had from there. They would come along every time and just sit there. <sighs> looking at one another. That's all they ever did. We asked them to do something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never got done. Oh, you're just so beautiful. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh, yes. No, you're more beautiful. No, you are. It was just sick. I was there with my wife. We were like, oh, this is just nauseous. What's going on? They're useless. Lovely people, but honestly, get over it. Just get married or do something. Get it, get it out. That's what happens. Why? Because love motivates you to do things. And if you have a dog or had a dog, you know you love that little dog, don't you, right? I mean, when, when I was younger, I went to the shops one day and my mother saw this little dog in the corner all on its own. All the other, all its brothers and sisters were eating all the food and this little dog was starving. And she, it so moved her that she went and bought this dog, brought it home. My grandfather used to come up every night for supper because he lived just around the corner from us. He said, what a stupid woman. What are you doing buying a dog? You know what happened? He fell in love with that dog. Every single night, he would go and walk the dog. Every night. He would come up, he would have supper, and then he would say, Shandy, come on. Time for walk. He was the one that ended up walking the dog. Not us. Why? Because he fell in love with the dog. Rain or shine, he would be out there walking the dog. One time, this has got nothing to do with it, but one time the dog came back on his own. He'd had enough of walking. <laughs> Slipped the lead. My grandfather was nowhere to be seen for hours. He came back so white as a sheet. He said, I've lost the dog. I've lost Shandy. No, no, he came back about two hours ago. <laughs> he obviously got fed up with your walking. Oh, he was like, he nearly died, poor guy. Why? Because love motivates, right? 
Love motivates us. If we don't have any love inside of if we don't have that focus in our heart, we're not going to see things through. We're not really going to be devoted to anything. First, we need to see what's going on inside of us. What's going on in your heart? What are you devoted to? Secondly, though, it's not just the heart. It also is the mind. There's a passage in Romans 12. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can have a devotion in your heart, but if your mind and your focus is not on it, then things go wrong. I think of my friend Tom. told you this before, I think. He was, he was charged with looking after his three young daughters. His wife went out for the evening and said, Tom, you're in charge. I can handle it. He loves his daughters. He was there. Problem happened. There was a football game on television. His heart was still with his daughters, but his mind was on the television. Came to halftime, suddenly realized that two of his daughters were playing. His third daughter was nowhere to be seen. So he went hunting for his daughter. Found that the daughter had found a permanent black marker pen, decided to walk around all the walls in the basement of his house with the permanent pen. Beautiful it was, I saw it. Panic set in. What will his wife say when she gets home? You see, he was devoted in his heart, but his mind was devoted to the football and not to his daughters. She was as happy as anything walking around marking up all the walls. His wife was none too pleased. We have to be devoted not only in our hearts, but also in our minds. And you see that in the disciples. The disciples were devoted in their hearts, but also their focus, their attention, and their intention was on Jesus Christ and what he asked them to do. Thirdly, it takes effort and it takes energy. You're never going to get anywhere unless we put the effort and the energy in. What did your school reports used to say? Were they like mine? Could do better. Hands up. Come on. Hands up if that was. Yeah, good. I'm not alone. That's good news. Could do better. Why? Because, well, you put in the effort and the energy to scrape through, right? Because there were more important things in life when you're young. Friends. Television. Whatever it was. Could do better. Why? Because the effort and the energy weren't really there. The word says this, whatever you do in Colossians 3, work it out with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know the difference yourself when you do things that you love to do, right? And things that are a chore. You know the energy levels that you put into things that you love to do. And the energy levels, that the things you, you just, oh, I've got to get this done. I mean, how much energy do you put into paying the bills, filling in your tax returns, and doing all those kind of things, right? It's just a chore. We have to do it, but it's not exactly fun, is it? But when there's something you love to do, oh, then you can put the energy in. It takes 
not only your heart and not only your mind, it takes also effort and energy. It doesn't come naturally to be disciples. It requires effort. And fourthly, it requires our time too. says in Revelation, each of the letters, the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3, it says that it's just one of them. Whoever has ears, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious or to the one who overcomes. It says in every single letter the same thing at the end. You see, it's not about how you start. It's not about the energy and the effort that you put in at the start of the race. Paul said it, didn't he? He said it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, you know, it's, I want to I finish well to receive the reward. How many things have you started that you've never finished? Don't look at your husband or your wife now, right? How many of us do that? We start things, but we never quite get them done. They're sort of half-completed projects all the time. It's not how you start. It's not even how you carry on. It's how you finish that really matters. And that takes time to do that. Everything in Revelations, to him who overcomes, to him who is victorious, to him who can stand at the end and say, I've accomplished. That's what matters. It takes that time and that commitment. And lastly, it takes an element of risk too. Jesus said these words, didn't he? He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, what does that mean? What will it mean for you tomorrow to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ? You don't really know, do you? Because it depends what tomorrow will bring in your life. It depends what, what interactions you have tomorrow. It depends on the circumstances and the situations that arise tomorrow. You're not really sure exactly what that means. You have to wait and see every day. And that's risky, isn't it? It's like that moment where Jesus said to Peter, remember he's walking on the water and Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come. What a silly thing to say, eh? And Jesus says, okay, come. And he, then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. He took a risk. What happens if he got out on the boat? You ever tried walking on water? I didn't do very well, did you? I've, tried, I've fallen out of boats a few times. I've never, I've never managed to float and walk on the surface. So I just go under and then splutter. It's a risk. It's a risk to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to follow him. But that's what Jesus asks of you and me. But it's only a risk as it is when Peter got out of that boat to the extent of your relationship with Jesus. Why did Peter get out the boat? Because he trusted in the word of Jesus Christ, right? If you'd have been standing there and said, come, you think Peter would have got out the boat? If one of the other disciples had said, Peter, why don't you give that a go? Look, that's Jesus over there. Why don't you try that? Would you have got out of the boat? I wouldn't have done. But because it was Jesus that says, hey, come. And he trusted in who Jesus is. He trusted in what he knew about Jesus and what he saw about Jesus. He trusted in the relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. 
as frail as it was in some ways. That's why he went. It's all to do with that relationship. Five things devotion requires. A focus of the heart, of the mind. There's effort, there's energy, there's time, and there's an element of risk in it all. And you have to be willing to pay the risk. But you know, to be a disciple is to be committed to those things of God. Jesus said, be devoted to me. Today we're going to say the words of the covenant. And that covenant prayer that you will say, if you wish to say it, is a prayer that basically says, you know what, Lord? I want to be a disciple. I want to be these things. I want to be devoted with my heart. I want to be devoted with my mind. I'm no longer my own, but I'm yours. I'm going to take up my cross every day. Wherever you're going to do with me, whatever you're going to place me, that's, that's, I'm happy with that. I'm going to take that risk because my heart and my mind and my energy and my time, I want to be victorious. That's who I want to be. That's what it means in part to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I want us to ask ourselves today, am I really a disciple? Should I really say these words? Do I want to say these words? Because saying the words of the covenant is committing myself to a life of discipleship. Why would anybody do that? Because Jesus said, you're a disciple, you'll have life in all its fullness. You're a disciple, there were 11 of them, wasn't there? One was a bit of a disastrous disciple. The 11 others, and then Matthias who was added, what happened? Well, they transformed the world. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me and I can give it to you. Be a disciple and go and make disciples. That's all I'm asking. You do that through the love of God. You do that through the focus of your intention day by day. You do that through your energy and your effort because you're working everything for the Lord. You do that by looking at the long term and saying, Lord, get me there. I want to be victorious. I want to be an overcomer. You do that. When every time an opportunity comes, you get out of the boat and you walk. That's life in all its fullness. Today, as we begin this journey of discipleship, or this thinking, journey of thinking and reflecting on discipleship, as we make this covenant promise today, think about what you're making. Am I a disciple? How much of a disciple am I, really? Am I making disciples? Father, 
We recognize today that all of us can do so much better. But it's not about that. You look into our hearts. You look into our lives. And as David said, search me and know me, O Lord. Know my inmost thoughts. Know my heart. It's about our intention and our intentionality. Lord, I long to be a disciple of you. And I long to make disciples. Teach me what it means. That I may one day, when I overcome, stand before you and you welcome me. And you say, well done. My good and faithful disciple. And Lord, for the times where I mess up, the times where my heart is somewhere else or my focus is somewhere else, where I put my time and my energy somewhere else, the times when I confuse church with discipleship, Lord, forgive me. Teach me what it means to be and make disciples. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.